listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Let's go. Uh, For those of you that are on now, let's jump over uh, to 1 Corinthians. I'm starting today. This is what we're titling The Deadly Pitfalls which is immature Christianity. We're avoiding these. How do you avoid immature Christianity? How do you become a mature believer? How do you make sure that you're not staying in one place, stagnant year after year after year after year? And people do. People do. But if we're going to be able to, uh, as we've been teaching, continue to live in victory, continue to live in the supernatural realm, it takes mature Christianity to live at that level. And so we have to have it in order to see victory, in order to continue to complete the assignment that God has for our lives. And so what do we do? First of all, the way that you can tell um, that immature Christianity is not something that should remain or continue on is that you can see that it irritated the apostle Paul. It was something that was literally irritating to him. That's why I had you turn to first Corinthians chapter three. And, um, he's dealing with this subject, uh, with this church that as I've taught you many times is the most immature church in the new Testament that we have record of the Corinthian church. They had a, they had a bunch of spiritual gifts in manifestation. The Bible teaches us that they did. They had an abundance of tongues and prophecy and interpretation and all these different things. They had an abundance of spiritual gifts, especially the utterance gifts, according to first Corinthians one, but they were immature. They had uh, rampant sin in the church. Uh, they were not, mature enough to even, you know, Paul had to like correct them in such a way. He'd say, you know what? I don't want to be rough with you, but I'm going to be rough with you because you need to understand the truth and you need to understand how to live your life. And so he was a little bit irritated, uh, especially in this first letter to the Corinthians that they were still immature in their faith. And that bothered him. They should be growing. We should all be growing. Um, you know, we, we want people to be discipled. That's why we created the what's next, uh, discipleship podcast, because we don't want, we just don't want people to get saved, you know, in our crusades at, on our television broadcast, you know, here on, on the, on the live broadcast, we don't want people to just get saved. We want people to be discipled. We want people to go to the next level and become mature. So we created the what's next, uh, uh, series of videos. And it's also a podcast that people can go through. It's a discipleship program. It's free. And we do that so that people can learn the basics of what it means to be uh, a mature Christian and how to walk in that. First Corinthians chapter three, this is what Paul writes to the church. Uh, I'll start with verse one, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. So notice that 
He's shown that you're not even, he said, you're not even like young children. You're not even like teenagers. You're not even like, you know, you're, you're infants. <laughs> you are newborns in Christ Jesus. And he said, verse two, I fed you with milk, not with solid food for you were not ready for it. And even now you are still not ready. Verse three, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So let me stop there. Paul makes the, the case here that uh, all of these people that he's addressing, they're still infants. They're at the very, very starting block of their Christianity. And, and obviously he's writing them as a correction to say, you shouldn't still be there. You shouldn't still be there. In another portion of scripture, he says, can we not move on from the elementary teachings about Jesus Christ to the deeper things? Can we not move on? And so, uh, Paul here is, it's a, it's a correction. He's saying, listen, I'm addressing you as infants. I've got solid food to give you, but I can't give it to you yet because you've not moved on from infancy into the later stages of Christianity. I keep having to give you milk over and over and over and over. And I want to give you solid food. I want to give you the meat of the word, but I can't. And so there are certain people, that's why I've thought of this often, how even for a pastor on any given Sunday, there's like multiple quote unquote meals that he has to have ready because there's different levels of maturity in the church. So you've got the pastor, he's throwing steak over here to one corner. He's squirting milk over here to another section. He's got like, you know, mashed up oatmeal baby food for the set. So it's, it's weird because as a pastor, you've got all those types of people in your church and you're trying to minister to all the different levels in different methods. You've got to give something to those that are mature that fills them up. You got to give something to the children that fills them up. You got to give something to the babies. And I don't mean actual, I mean, spiritual that fills them up and satisfies their soul. And Paul's saying that I, I, I've got this desire to give you solid food, but you can't handle it at this point. So I'm giving you milk and I'm giving you milk and I'm giving you milk until you grow up. But what is he saying here? What is the proof? What is the proof that they aren't able to handle the solid food yet of the, of the word of God, of the spirit? What's the proof? Well, according to this, he said, um, you're still of the flesh. So one of the signs, number one, I want you to put it uh, in the comments section. This is one of the signs that you are living at that level of immaturity is that you are living in the flesh or you're allowing your flesh nature to rule you. That's, that's one. You're allowing your flesh nature to rule you. So, uh, when we read what, what he's, what he gives examples here from their church, he says, you know, you've got jealousy among you, you've got strife among you. And so divisions in the church, we've got divisions in the church. So put that in the comments. Number one, uh, living in the flesh or allowing the flesh to control your life, allowing your flesh nature to rule your life. This is a sign to anybody watching that you are an immature believer. 
Yes, you may have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Yes, you may believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. But we've got to move on and become disciples of Christ, which means that we imitate the way Christ lived, the way Paul lived. And so here he's saying your flesh is in control. You've got strife. You've got divisions. One of the things I can see when I go to, let's say I go to a church and I can sense that tension. I know what's going on. If there are divisions and the devil works hard to make this happen, divisions in the church, you've got people that are upset with each other, that are separated in relationship, just total division in the church. It's a huge sign of immaturity in the body of Christ. I remember my father telling the story, one of the first meetings that he had after he was married, he and my mom were, uh, were at this church and it's a Sunday morning. It's the beginning of a revival. And, um, he goes in and he's on the front row getting ready to speak and he can feel it and he gets up to speak. And when he gets up to speak, he knows that the church is not ready for revival, not ready to receive the word God's put in his spirit. So he closed his Bible and he said, something's not right. And he told them they needed to repent and that he'd be back tonight to start the revival. Like he didn't preach one thing, closed it, told my mom, let's go, we're leaving. And he just, he and my mom just walked right out and left the church and went, I think got some breakfast or lunch. And, uh, he, he didn't know I'd never been there before, but there was a problem. And what was the problem? Well, there was extreme division in that church. There were basically two major families in the church that were sitting on either side of the aisle and they were in a massive, uh, what you might call feud, like a family feud minus Steve Harvey. And they, they were uh, fighting one with one another and some of them uh, had been fighting so long they couldn't even remember what they were fighting about. But they tell the story, my dad came back that night and the pastor was so happy that after he left and walked out with my mom, everybody kind of just sat there and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, people started to cry and they crossed the aisle to each other and people began to hug and people began to make up and people began to forgive one another. And all of a sudden, there was unity in the church again. Well, God's not going to move where there's strife and where there's division and where there's all those different things. The Bible says that where those things are, there is every evil work every evil work. I want you to think about that. That if the devil can get in with these things that uh, some people think are small. Hold on, I'm going to give you the exact reference. Every evil work. I know it's in uh, James, I believe. James 3. Let's go to James 3 because this is huge. People think it's small stuff. It's not small. It affects everything God can do in your life. James chapter three, and listen to this. Uh, I'll start reading with verse 13. Listen to what the Bible says. James three thirteen. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
Listen to verse 16. This will blow your mind. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Notice that. There will be disorder and every vile practice. So Paul is teaching, or James is teaching here, that where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, those are works of the flesh. Just like the visions that Paul's talking about. Works of the flesh. See, this is a sign. When you've got someone that is totally controlled by their flesh nature, totally controlled by their flesh nature, that's a sign unto you that somebody is an immature believer. So Paul tries to help them out. See, this is, this is where we're at. Paul didn't want to see churches uh, living in immaturity. That's why he's writing to them. Uh, that's why he's correcting them. But Paul didn't want to see these things take place. Paul knew that the works of the flesh kept you in a place of immaturity where God can't move at the greater levels like he wanted to move and use you in greater levels like he wants you to use you. And so notice that Paul begins to give the Galatian church instruction to not allow their flesh to rule their life. Galatians chapter five, where we have the fruit of the spirit listed. So what do we have? What is he contrasting? The fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. What's the difference? The flesh rules you. It produces wickedness and wicked things. But if the spirit rules you, it produces righteousness. And see, here's the real Here's the real crux of the matter. He said, now listen to this, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And they're opposed to each other. Get this, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now let's break that down for a minute because that, that's kind of a weird, that's kind of a weird thought that people don't necessarily understand that to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. What does it, what does that mean? Well, when you get saved, your spirit man is changed. Your spirit man is renewed and made alive. You're seated in heavenly places with Christ. Your spirit wants to please the Lord. Get this now. Your spirit man wants to, pl to please the Lord, to do things that are uh, in alignment or consistent with your righteousness. That's what your spirit wants. But don't forget, you've still got flesh there. Your flesh is still alive. Your flesh still also has desires. And this is where Galatians 5.17 comes in. Because Paul teaches them that your flesh has desires and your spirit man has desires. And that they are always opposed to one another. <laughs> I'm sorry. Susan, I think is watching the broadcast on a heavy delay. She just put up an answer for number seven. Um, your spirit has desires. And your flesh has desires. <laughs> that just caught me off guard. She's watching the broadcast on delay. Um, and Paul says they're fighting against one another. 
They're fighting against one another. And as they're fighting against one another, the Bible says it keeps you and me from doing the things that we, I love this because it doesn't say it keeps you from doing the things God wants you to do. It says it keeps you from doing the things that you want to do. So here's what's exciting about that. Here's a very exciting thing. That shows you that according to the Holy Spirit who's inspiring Paul, this is a big, this is a very, very big truth that many people never get, but I want you to get it today. According to the Holy Spirit, the real you is not your flesh, but your spirit man. I want you to put that in the comments. The real me is my spirit man. That is so big to get that. The real me is my spirit man. Because Paul said, it keeps you from doing the things that you want to do. Meaning the you is the spirit. And your flesh is now opposing you. The the flesh nature is opposing the desires of the real you. That's, That's huge, man. The flesh is opposing the desires of the real you. Doesn't want you to please God, but the real you wants to please God. Right? That's exactly right. Zach Wilson put, I am a spirit. I have a soul and I live in a body. The three-part man. We are three-part beings. I am a spirit. That's who I am. I have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and I live in a body. And so the real you is your spirit man. When you understand that, it gives you a massive perspective on why Paul said some of the things he said in his writings, like 1 Corinthians 9, 27. If you were to mark that verse of scripture down, he writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I... Now, look at, the, look at the wording here. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Did you notice that he made a verbal separation between himself and his body? Interesting. He separates himself and his body. The real me is my spirit. My body's fighting against my spiritual desires. So he said, I've got to, me, my spirit man, I have to make a choice to put my flesh nature under. This is what caused Paul to be a mature believer. God could use him as an apostle. He, his spirit man, put his flesh nature under, subjected it to what the word of God teaches and made it obey the scriptures that of which he was writing at the time. So one of the biggest things you'll see, if you look at immaturity in the body of Christ, you'll see a group of people who are ruled by their flesh nature rather than by their spirit man. And that's a sign because what it is, is it shows you that you've not had the spiritual fortitude or discipleship to learn how to walk by the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's why Paul wrote these letters to these churches, because they were all having issues. The Galatians, 
the Corinthians, you know, the Thessalonians. He deals with it, with all of these different, the Colossians, with all these different churches, because they need to understand, I have a, I have a responsibility to make sure that my spirit runs the show. And I, want, I do want you to put that down because here is the, the massive, massive point that every Christian needs to get. I have a responsibility to make sure my spirit runs the show. I have to do that. Have to do that. And is it work? Yes, it's work. It is big work. <laughs> I have a responsibility to make sure my spirit man runs the show. I have to make sure of that. It's my responsibility. It's not God's. It's not my pastor's. It's not my youth leader. It's my responsibility. If I fail at that, it's no one's fault but mine. It's nobody's fault but mine. And so I have to make sure of that. That's right. If I I have a responsibility to make sure my spirit man runs the show. Has to. Because when you understand it the way Paul taught it, when you get saved, your spirit man is united with Christ. You are made one with Jesus Christ. So your spirit man is because it's united with Christ, the Holy Spirit speaking directly to your spirit. You're not separated, you're joined. I'm not apart from him. I'm not separated from him. I'm joined to him. And do you know that there's people, the Holy Spirit can speak to them and they can still do what their flesh wants because it's a decision. And this is where many people never understand me and I've had people disagree with me and that's fine, but they don't understand why I would say and make the case that of all of the fruit of the spirit, self-control, in my opinion, is the most important fruit of the spirit, not love, not love, not joy, not peace, not patience, not gentleness, goodness, meekness, temper. What, What I believe is the most important of the nine is the fruit of self-control. Why do I say that? The reason I say it is because, and I've, I've, I've dealt with this, all of the fruit of the spirit, every last one of them are all decisions, right? Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Now you can feel in love. You can feel love for something or someone, but let me make this point to you. It's like James wrote faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. That's true of anything that is a spiritual attribute, not just faith, right? Love without works is dead. Let, let me, let me break that down. Love without works is dead. How would you ever know if someone loves you? How would you ever know? So a few, one of a few things has to be true if you're going to know they love you, right? And we've, we've, we've looked at this even from the standpoint of uh, the very famous New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman. We know that according to that, what he's writing, there are five main ways that people receive love or feel loved and five main ways that they show love. It is important to understand those things because God created us this way and it's the same way he gives and receives love from us. I showed you that scripturally, but 
you know, you got words of affirmation. So if somebody loves you, they're going to tell you, they're going to talk to you, tell you they love you. They're going to speak to you about their love for you. So not just words of affirmation. What's another way you can show someone you love them? Physical touch. You can hug them. You can kiss them, whatever. All of those things. Uh, It's not just that, but quality time right? You can spend time with somebody. If you love someone, you want to be around them. You spend time with them. The giving of gifts. If you love somebody, you may give them gifts. You may buy them things. You may make them things, right? All these different things. And so we go through all these, these different, um, you, you go through all these different signs. It, love is not a feeling. It's an action. So the only way anybody would ever know that you love them is by the actions you take. Because not only is faith without works dead, love without works is dead. Because love is a decision. I've shared this thought. I've heard people say, uh, or I, I was actually listening to a pastor teach one time, and he said he had a man come into his office, and the man said to him, uh, it, was, it was a marital counseling session, and the man said to him, I don't know what to do, pastor. I just don't love my wife anymore. I don't feel any love for her. I don't feel in love with her. I don't love her anymore. It's over. What should I do? And the pastor said to the man, go home and love her. Say, well, no, no, no. I think you misunderstood. I don't love her anymore. I don't feel any love. Nothing. He said, yeah, go home and love her. And the man couldn't at the beginning understand what the pastor was saying. The pastor was saying, it doesn't matter what you feel. Go home and do something that shows love that you may not even feel in your, in your heart right now, go and take the actions of love. Go home and tell her you love her. Go home and do something with her. Uh, acts of service, spe- you know, quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, whatever it is. Show it. Do it in the natural until it becomes the thing in your heart because you've made a vow. So he's, he's teaching him something. It's not about what you feel. It's about what you do. Because love's a decision. How many times, let me ask you this question. And this is all about spiritual maturity. This is how to avoid the pitfalls, deadly pitfalls that keep you in a place of immaturity where God can't move. How many times have you had to walk in love when you felt no love in your heart? I want you to put a hand up if that's ever been you. That you had to walk in love towards somebody, though you didn't feel any love for that person in your heart. They ticked you off. They made you mad. They did something wrong. They might've done something behind your back, said something behind your back, but you chose to walk in love towards that person. Raise your hand if you, if that's happened to you. Leslie said too many to count. Christopher said, yes, me. Lynn yes, me. Notice what you're doing in these situations. Do you see what you're doing? Now you're doing something that mature believers do, which is what? I feel like slapping somebody, but I'm actually going to love somebody. I feel like going and giving them a piece of my mind, but instead I'm just going to walk in love towards them. Just going to walk in love. And is that, here's the only thing it's not easy on. It's not easy on your flesh. It's not easy on your flesh. Your flesh feels that it's rising up. Like, I'm going to go tell them exactly how I feel, put them back in their place. That's the flesh. The spirit man 
wants to, the real you, wants to do what pleases the Lord. That's what your spirit man wants to do. Right? And so what do you do? You take steps that line up with God's word. Not your emotions, not your feelings, not your ego, not your pride. God's word. And when you do that, what are you doing? Subjecting the flesh. Making it obey what the word of God says to do. You're putting it under, as Paul said. And you're letting your spirit run the show. There's somebody that I was very ticked off with a few months back. Very. And I about ripped them in half verbally via email. But the more I got ready to do it, the more I felt the Holy Spirit saying, let it go. Just let it go. Don't, don't even say a thing. I, I felt the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been around me, you know that I have a personality that is demonstrative. If you know what I mean by that. <laughs> Tiffany. And in all, in all seriousness, I'm a very, I'm a very demonstrative person. I know you can't tell from my preaching or from being on the broadcast, but it's true. But I had that where the Holy Spirit just said, do nothing, say nothing, just let it go. So I let it go. Bethany said demonstrative. (laughs) Holy Spirit said, let it go. So you know what? I let it go. And let me tell you something. I was ready to go off. He said, you, Brother Ted, Evangelist Ted, Evangelist Ted, ready to go off. It was going to be like a rant broadcast, but an email form where you're questioning your own existence when you're done reading. The Lord said, let it go. I let it go. I let it go. But you see, your flesh doesn't want to let it go. Want to wring your neck, but you can't do it. Because the Bible says that someone who's a leader in the church cannot be given to violence, cannot have that kind of a a reaction to things, cannot be a brawler, cannot be given to violence, cannot be somebody who, I want to just take it out. I can't do it. can't do it. Because you got to do what the word of God says. You've got to walk in love. And so I let it go. I did what the Holy Spirit said. My flesh didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. But he's the boss. You follow the voice of the Holy Spirit, which leads me to the next point before before we get to the, uh, uh, really towards the end of this, I want you to see, it's not just, okay? It's not just allowing your spirit to lead you, which it should, because the real you, your spirit is united with Christ, but it's also, allowing the voice of the Holy Spirit to lead you. This makes mature uh, Christians when you allow the voice of the Holy Spirit to lead you. Let me, let me say this, because we were talking about it yesterday. I was talking with somebody. They said, how would you really tell someone who's a, an immature believer or an unbeliever? How would you explain what it's like to be led by the Spirit? Like, how would you, how would you uh, explain that to someone? Like, How do you know you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in regard to your direction in life? And I always have gone about it in this way. Because remember something, we know the voice of the Holy Spirit. We know him. 
We know him. In fact, I want you to put that in the comments. I know the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Spirit. Um, this passage of scripture that I'm getting ready to read to you has kind of always been my baseline for how I function and operate hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 14, that those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so, you ask the question as a mature believer, how would you tell somebody? How do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? This is the way I've always gone about it. Isaiah 55, and I'll read verses 11 and 12. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to start back with verse number 8. Right, because we want access to the thoughts of God. So let's start with Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 12. Listen to this. God's speaking here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, that right there is an explanation of why I want access to his thoughts and his ways. That right there, that's why I want access to his thoughts and his ways. Verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now look at verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So I want you to catch this. You shall go out in joy and led forth in peace. According to the New Testament scriptures, the Bible says that the peace of God will rule our hearts by faith. So when God leads me, right, how do you know? How do you know that you are being led by the Holy Spirit? How do you know you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit when it comes to direction? Number one, I've always made this a priority. When, let's say I had three decisions and I'm sitting there thinking, what, what decision should be the one I make? Of course, I'm praying, Lord, show me. Lord, show me which is the correct decision. And then, you know what I say? All right. As I imagine each one, which one do I feel peace in? Let's say it was down to something as going back, which Bible school should I attend? Well, I'll tell you what happened when I started going through that. When I started to just sit and meditate as I was praying and, you know, imagine myself making that decision, going up to New England, going to that Bible school. I didn't feel any peace in my spirit about that. It almost feels like an upset like, uh, you know, it's almost like a, you're anxious about it. You feel upset about it. There's a check in your spirit, we call it. A check in your spirit. And even though I'd never been out there to Oklahoma like that and hadn't spent time in the, in the, you know, out in the Midwest or whatever you want to call it, 
I would sit there and just pray about going there far, very far away from home, never been out there, don't know anybody out there. But as I began to meditate on it making that decision, going out there, I felt perfect peace in my spirit as I prayed about those decisions. Perfect peace, perfect peace. I didn't feel that about New England to go to that school, but I felt it about going out to Oklahoma to that school. And so what does the Bible say? You'll go out in joy and you'll be led forth in peace. The peace of God will rule your hearts by faith. So what's going on? God's not going to lead you into anxiety. He's not leading you into depression. He's not leading you into uneasiness. That's the Lord telling you, I'm giving you a check here. Don't do that thing. Don't do that thing. There is a peaceful pull. That's exactly right. I've preached it this way for a bunch of years now. You'll go out in joy and be led forth by peace. That means that joy is the force, the fuel that pushes you forward. But peace, it is the pull that leads you in the right direction. So when I, when I liken it to, for example, driving in a car, I always tell people that joy is like the gasoline in the tank that lets your car move forward. But peace is like the GPS that tells you which turns to make, shows you where to go, how long to stay on that road, when to move off that road. And that's what it is. Joy is the fuel to keep you moving forward. You'll go out in joy, but you'll be led forth by peace. That the peace of God is the thing that's actually showing you which decision to make. If I don't feel peace about, I'm just going to be very plain with you. If I don't feel peace about something, I don't do it. I don't do it at all. If I don't feel peace, I don't do it. But when I know something's God, God's in it, then let me tell you something. I immediately move on that and I feel peace to it. I don't feel any trepidation. I don't feel any fear. I don't feel any anxious anxiety. Uh, there's no anxious feeling. There's no depression. There's no heaviness. When I feel God speaking, it's light. It's easy. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. God doesn't weigh us down with direction. When God leads you, it should be the thing. Now your flesh may try to resist it. Your flesh may try to push back, but we're not being led by the flesh. We covered that already. We're being led by the spirit of God. We're being led by the spirit. And Lynn Ann's right. It saves a lot of time and heartache to learn to follow that leading, the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't do whatever I want. I don't even tell my children, when you grow up, you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. You got to be what the spirit has called you to be. You got to follow his plan. You know, that's, that's something people need to get in life. Paul couldn't do anything he wanted. Peter couldn't do anything he wanted. These were servants. John the apostle, he couldn't do anything he wanted. He actually wrote about himself as did Paul and the other apostles. We're a servants, we're servants of Christ. I'm a servant of God. Uh, the bond servant, the word doulos in the New Testament Greek, it means a bond servant, a slave that's in slavery by choice. My debt's paid. I can leave your service if I want to, but I choose to stay. Doulos, a bond servant. 
a slave by choice. And you see these passages where Paul said, you know, Paul, an apostle and a slave of Christ, some different translations, Paul, an apostle and a, a servant of Christ, Paul, an apostle and a bond servant of Christ. That's that word doulos, which means I am a slave to God by choice. He's not forcing me. I'm yielding my life to him. And because I'm yielded, I'll do whatever he says. Paul wasn't running around Peter, John doing whatever they want. They were being led by the spirit and obeying the voice of the Lord obeying the voice of the Lord. And so as a result, that's what we've got to do is that we hear his voice. We're led by his voice. I don't even tell my kids that because they need to understand you've got to do whatever the Lord tells you to do. That's where the blessing is. And see these pitfalls that we're seeing, people are led by their flesh. And then even if they're not, even if they don't go around making fleshly actions all the time, people don't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you got Christians. It's not that they're living crazy. You got young people, 20 years old. They're not, it's not that they're living crazy and doing all these fleshly things, but again, step two, they're not being led by the spirit. So they'll go do their own thing and go to college and they'll change their major seven times. And they get all kinds of credit, credit card debt and student loan debt. Everything's racking up because they just didn't ask the Holy spirit what he wanted them to do. And so it's a step beyond your flesh. It's, you don't have to be doing acts of the flesh, but also you're not being led by the Holy Ghost in your life. You've got to be led. Got to be led by the Holy Ghost. And then finally, let me give you this before we pray today. Ephesians chapter six, uh, this is a requirement for all of those Christians who are going to be strong in the Lord. Those that are going to be mature. You can be weak or you can be strong. No question. There are weak Christians. There are weak, immature Christians that are going to be a prayer project for 20 years. Like, would you pray for me? I'm just, I need a miracle. Would you pray for me? Could you just keep me in your prayers? Would you just pray for me? And I'm not mocking people that need prayer. I'm saying that that shouldn't be your story for 25 years. That the pastors got you on the prayer list at the church for 20 years. Your name hasn't come off. Sister so-and-so, she needs prayer again. She's in another crisis. We're going to just lift her up in prayer today. No, stop being the person that always needs prayer and be the person that's going to do the prayer of faith for someone else. Because here's the key. The devil wants to keep you in that place of weakness and in that place of need all the time. Because your Christianity becomes inwardly focused versus outwardly focused to do what you're called to do. If he keeps you in a mess, then you'll never be a blessing to somebody else. And Paul says here to the church in Ephesus, in his closing part of his letter, he says this to a church that is mature. Finally, last thing I'm going to talk about, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength or power of his might. Well, how do you do that? Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So people that are immature are always falling prey to the schemes of the devil, always. But not those that are mature. Those that are mature are being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and we're putting on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So there are spiritual forces of evil that we're fighting against. How do we do it? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand 
in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand firm. With what? Fasten on first and foremost, the belt of truth. What's the thing that holds it all together? The belt of truth. What is truth? The word of God. God's word is truth. The belt is the truth of God's word. Move further. Not just the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, right living, right standing with God. So we've got two elements so far. We've got the word of God. We've got righteousness, right standing, holy living. And also as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So what is the gospel? That's the word of God, the good news, the gospel of peace, the word again, two, two elements in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can quench all the fiery darts, all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Well, faith, how does faith come? It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice that faith comes by hearing God's word. So again, the word is your belt. Righteousness is your breastplate. The word is your shoes and the word is your shield. Faith that comes from the word of God is your shield. Go on further. Take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of what? Salvation. That's your righteousness. That's your holiness. Covers your head. Not only that, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, it's just the word of God again. Praying at all times. So before we get there, notice this. The, all of the parts of the armor of God were made up of two elements. Righteousness and the word of God. Righteousness and the word of God. Right living, the word of God. Right living, the word of God shows you that one of the things that takes you into spiritual maturity is filling yourself with God's word, filling yourself with God's word. And then it says, and praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So notice we've got righteousness and we've got the word of God. And then notice what he goes into next. All kinds of prayer. All kinds of prayer. Pray in the spirit and with all kinds of prayer. So righteousness, the word, and prayer. And one of the things that can accompany prayer in your life is fasting. About which I've written an entire book. And we're going we're gonna to do some fasting again as the new year comes on. Uh, of course, we fast throughout the year, but we're going to do our extended fast again in January. And if you haven't gotten that book, you need to grab it. But these three things keep you in a place of strength, according to scripture, keeps you in a place of supernatural strength so that, and I love the uh, verse that Lynn Ann put up, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Hebrews 5, 14. See that? Because of. So you begin to see the book is called. Uh, Christopher said, what's the title of the book? It's called A Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting. A Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting. You can get it on the link on the screen. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on Apple Books. A Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting. It'll help you. 
But notice, these things put you in a place of maturity. I let my spirit run the show, not my flesh. I follow the voice of the Holy Spirit, and then I stand strong. How do I stay in strength? Filled with the word, constantly in prayer, right standing with God, righteousness. As Pastor Adeboye preached, holiness is the master key in the kingdom of God. Holiness. It's the master key. It opens every door. God will not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. Not one good thing will he withhold. And so these things are marked. See, if you don't, then you're falling into the deadly pitfalls of immaturity. Keeps you in a place of weakness. Keeps you in a place of weakness. Let me read you a verse of scripture about that in Proverbs. Uh, Listen to this. This always... This always struck me. Proverbs 21, 16. Whoever wanders from the good way of sense or wisdom will remain or rest in the assembly of the dead. That's crazy. You can be a follower of God and rest in the assembly of the dead. You can be a Christian and your life look like an unbeliever's life. That'll blow your mind right there. You can be a Christian and your life still look like an unbeliever's life. That's, that's mind-blowing. Let me give you one more. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Look at that. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small small. So that shows you right there that we can have strength that is too small and we can have strength that's more than enough. Because according to what Paul wrote, which is the exact opposite side of the coin of this proverb, if you faint in the day of adversity, that's not our plan to faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is small. That's not what Paul's encouraging them. He said, be strong, not small strength, more than enough strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And when you do that, what does he describe? That you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Not some of them, not win on some days, lose on other days. It's a roller coaster life. No, you win and you only win. You quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. You stand strong in the Lord and you don't faint in the day of adversity. You don't faint in the day of adversity. How did Paul describe it? What was his phrasing? He said this, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, to stand firm. So these people are fainting, you're standing. These people's strength is too small, your strength is more than enough. You see that? This is contrasting here. Proverbs 24, 10. Ephesians chapter six, verse 13. You notice that strength's too small, fainting. Strength is more than enough, standing and having done all to stand, standing firm. There's a big difference, my friend, between immaturity in Christianity and maturity in Christianity. We're not all walking at the same level. See, because people get frustrated acting like God's a socialist with an equal distribution of spiritual wealth. It doesn't work that way. Yes, in theory, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. No question. 
But how come then if everybody's got the same blessings that we're not all walking around blessed at the same level? The reason is because it takes active steps of obedience to obtain the promises of God. Active steps of obedience to obtain the promises of God. No question about that. You can coast through your whole life and never get to the promises of God because your faith was never activated by the word. How do you get faith? By the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Either you never heard the word, you never studied the word, so faith didn't grow. And if faith doesn't grow, you can't obtain the promises of God. That's why where you go to church makes a big difference. Big difference, my friend. I don't just goof off and just say, well, we'll go whatever, whatever church is closest to the house. What a dumb way to choose which church you go to. Well, it was close to our house. That's a dumb way to make a decision. Go to one that's on fire. On fire. Preaches the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to a church like that and be stirred up and be strengthened to do what God's called you to do. There's a big difference between an immature believer. It's a deadly place to be because you can't even eat. You can't even eat the solid food that God has for you to make you strong to do. Let me tell you, there's things that I can do that my son Teddy cannot do yet. He's five. I'm 39. There's things I can do. So, well, you're both human beings. Yeah, we're both human beings. Well, you're both alive. Yeah, we're both alive. And we're both males. We're both guys. We're both alive. We're both human beings. We both live in the same house. We both come from the same family. But there's stuff I can do, he can't do. Why? I've matured into full manhood. And so as a result, there are things that I can do that I wouldn't even expect him to do. I don't ask him to provide for the family. I provide for the family with the help of the Lord, right? He's not ready to do that. He's in immaturity. I would never ask him to defend our home. If there was ever a problem, I defend the home. I am the man. He's a boy. You get the point. There's things I can do. Now, eventually he will be able to do them because he's going to mature and he's going to grow and he's going to get stronger. But that's what I'm teaching today. You've got, you can't stay a five-year-old boy in the kingdom for your whole life. Everybody always has to protect you. I have to tie his shoes. There's coming a day he'll tie his shoes. Amen. You shouldn't be in the body of Christ for 20 years and people still have to come wipe your bum bum. For, for, for lack of a better example, you shouldn't be every time you have a, <laughs> you shouldn't be sitting in the pew calling for your pastor, pastor, I'm done. I'm done. Pastor. <laughs> Pastor's always wiping up your crap because you can't deal with yourself. So it shouldn't be there for 20 years. There are things that my son can't do that I can do because of the differences in maturity right? And so it's very important to understand growth is vital. Growth is vital. Maturity is vital. Now just think about the one example I gave you. My son can't fight for the family. He has to be protected by other members of the family, me namely, right? So what are you going to do? 
Are you going to always be the person in the body of Christ that has to be spiritually protected by other members of the body of Christ? Or are you going to be the one that stands up to fight the fight of faith and be the one who stands in your generation to provide help to those in need? Because if not, that's what's so demonic about this remaining in immaturity is that people can't do what they're called to do. They cannot do what they're called to do. So it's time for the people of God. And that's why, you know, I call you the victory tribe. I know most of the people that are watching regularly in the victory tribe. And I know that you're people that are faithful to the house of God, faithful to the kingdom of God, faithful to the word of God and the call of God. We need people like the victory tribe to stand up and to, and to not, not only stand up for Christ, but to be counted for the kingdom. I'm going to do something that's going to change my generation in whatever level God's called me to change it. And I'm not going to, man, I could do a whole, I could do a whole separate broadcast about one little thing that takes people out in immaturity in the body of Christ. And it's a work of the flesh offense. People get so quickly, especially in 2021, so quickly offended by everybody, everything everybody's doing. You can't please everybody. You can't please anybody anymore. All these things, they're signs of immaturity. Not for you. You're going to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Dylan said, it's true, but if I recall correctly, your son did headbutt another kid at West Virginia camp meeting. I think he can hold his own against other kids. Yes, that's true. But he better never headbutt me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> he tries to choke me out. The rear naked choke. Dad's just a little bit stronger than that. He's strong, but he's not there yet. And there's people that are, God's going to take them before this year comes to an end. God's going to take you into a place of strength that you've never walked in. We're declaring wonders in these final moments of time. And God's working with you. The Holy Spirit is working with you. Signs will follow. But it's time to yield to the spirit like we never have to stand in the word, prayer, strengthen ourselves to do what we're called to do. And God will use us. It's going to be the best year we've ever seen, the best ending to a year we've ever seen. And 2022 is going to blow the minds of natural men. It's our year of divine possession in Jesus mighty name. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word that strengthens us. Thank you for the ability to engage your spirit by prayer in the Holy Ghost and in our known language. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan to cause us to grow exponentially and expeditiously. It's not going to take 20 years. We thank you. You can do it in 20 minutes, 20 months, 20 weeks. We expect it. We expect quick growth as we yield ourselves to the Holy Ghost. We expect to see your spirit move like we've never seen you move. Divine intervention, wonders from heaven. That's our Confession, that's going to be our testimony. People will see it and won't be able to believe it when they see you move. And so, Lord, we ask you, don't ever let us fall back into the trap of being a prayer project, a weak Christian that just sits around looking for help all the time. Let us be raised up in strength and power to bring help to our generation. So this time, 2021, as we're coming to the end, we will be raised up to do what nobody else is able to do. In Jesus' name, Lord, put the resources in our hands. Make us pillars of generosity in the kingdom of God. We thank you for that. We give you praise for how you're using us. Thank you for touching our families. Thank you for touching our loved ones. I pray, Lord, for all those that are watching. If they're experiencing a crisis, an attack from the devil, 
Today we take authority over it in the name of Jesus. I join my faith with theirs. I loose the anointing of the Holy Spirit to where they are. And I rebuke every attack of the enemy that's tried to come upon your people, Lord. And in this, from this moment, we declare freedom is quickly coming. Deliverance, turnaround, quickly coming to God's people. We thank you, Lord, for it. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. You're the only one able to do these things. You're the only one worthy of praise. We love you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're giving you the opportunity to sow a seed at the end of the broadcast. You know all the ways to give. You've seen it. You've heard it. MiracleWord.com. Every way to give is listed on the website there. You can see all we're doing. As you partner with us, you can see everything that's happening. If you go to the website, there's many ways to give. Today, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. I don't have to tell you. You're mature. You can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So today, do by faith what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to do. And watch as God blesses you abundantly. It's going to take the kinds of seeds, as I said yesterday, that provoke the hand of God to see financial wonders in our lives and in our families. And that's what God's looking for. People that trust him over the world. So take a minute and sow your seed today. As you do, don't forget that we're only days away now, just days away, 10 days away from the Victory Tribe homecoming weekend that I'm very excited about. We hope to see you on Friday night, November the 12th uh, at Central Assembly of God in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It starts at 7 p.m. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait to get up there with you guys and spend time with you and to minister to you. The band's going to be there. We're going to play. We're going to sing. We're going to shout. We're going to uh, hear the word of God. The Holy Ghost is going to move. It's going to be a great night. And of course, all of you that are joining us the next day for the banquet, cannot wait to see you. Cannot wait to hang with you. It's going to be amazing. We've got uh, meetings that are still coming up before the end of the year. Of course, Sunday starts um, revival here at our home church with my father at Abundant Life Church uh, here in Margate, Florida. If you can make it in for that, we'd love to have you. And then of course, right after Thanksgiving takes place, I'm going to be in Murfreesboro, North Carolina, uh, Sunday through Wednesday scheduled. All the details are on the website. You can join us. And of course, we got stuff getting ready to kick off for the new year, 2022. I can't wait to see what God's going to do for that. It's going to be amazing. You're welcome, Diane. We love you. Standing with you. Those of you that are sending in prayer requests, I'm responding to as many of you as I can on, on uh, the text. And it's coming to my phone. I'm, I'm writing you back. We're standing with you. Trust me. We're praying to you, for you. And we love you very, very much. Again, tomorrow's a big day. Can't wait to be back with you. We've got two broadcasts tomorrow, dropping two new things, for, one for the children, one for the students. It's going to be a great day. I love you guys a lot. Very much. Again, if you watched at the beginning and participated in one in the Bible trivia, please send an email to Jenna at MiracleWord.com because we want to get you your gift card to Amazon as soon as we can. Love you, Faith. Chris, love you. Linan, love you too. Again, for those of you that are wondering, the book is called A Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting. You can get it on our website, shop.miracleword.com or on Amazon. Or if you like eBooks better, you can get it on Kindle and you can get it on Apple Books. Love you, Bonnie. And uh, that just dropped this year for our fast at the beginning of the year. And um, we're gonna be doing the fast again in January. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, this book will help you a ton 
Uh, it, it really takes you through the whole Bible, shows you everything you need to know about fasting from the Word of God. Thanks for spending time with me today. I love hanging with you. I'll talk to you again very soon. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you tomorrow. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.